Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorla. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Ron Jor and I will be joined by Dr. Jonathan Aiken to discuss pastors and shepherding college students. Uh, Jonathan Aiken serves as the vice president uh, for church relations and campus ministries at Carson Newman University. He's authored several books, including Preaching Christ from Proverbs. Brother, thank you so much uh, for taking some time out to join our conversation today. It's great to be here. Love what you guys do. Appreciate that. So let's go ahead and jump right into the discussion of shepherding college students. I wanted to first just by asking, uh, are you more encouraged or discouraged with college culture today? Why or why not? I would say I would say both. I mean, I know it's not maybe a cop out of an answer, but I, I am I am discouraged by college, um, you know, environments and educations because I, I think in America we're getting away from. Uh, classic education mm. into more. And I, and I know people have said this for years, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, old school fundamentalist, but I, I really do feel like that schools, while there was some indoctrination in a lot of, you know, universities and so forth, I do feel like several decades ago that there was actual like education, research, discovery, learning that was we're trying to go on. I think a much of that freedom of inquiry and stuff is is gone now, mm-hmm. and so now we're we're in a space where if you if you've read like you know books like the coddling of the American mind and so forth, where it's it used to be where students students wanted to be exposed to different ideas. That's why you go to university, mm-hmm. and now it's like I don't want to be exposed to ideas that I think are harmful or that I don't agree with, and it can be harmful and traumatizing to me to even come into contact with those ideas. And so I think that limits. Again, freedom of inquiry and and learning and education, and so and, and and pushes us more towards trying to to silo ourselves into what we already know mm-hmm. or what we think is right. And so I'm very discouraged about that. I'm encouraged because I do think it's an opportunity for the church um, to be different than the world. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we adopt the methods of the world, and and we can be just as siloed and and shut off, you know, free thinking, just like everybody else. And again, I'm not saying any of that stuff, we need to do any of that stuff, not in accordance with the scriptures. All of it needs to come under uh, the authority of scripture. But I think the church has a has a unique opportunity in that to say, hey, listen, we are for uh, the free exchange of ideas. We are for learning. We, we, we're, not, we're not scared. We think we should love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we, you know, we are for education. And I think it, particularly for me, uh, and even for you guys, people who are involved in Christian education, we have an opportunity to be different and to to educate from a Christian worldview, but to also expose people to, hey, here's what is being said. Here are the ideas that people are wrestling with. Here's how you need to be able to engage these ideas with the Bible and with the gospel. And so it's it's both discouraging and encouraging. And, you know, any any challenge you can look at as a challenge or you can look at as an opportunity to be faithful. And so we have that opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. How, how are things in college ministry the same as they were in the past? And how are they different? There are a lot of folks that are, that are seeming talking like we're in a we're in a different time. We're in a different era and things like that. How are things the same and how are things changed? Well, things are the same in terms of, you know, the, the 
coming of age. And again, I know in, in past history, we didn't have adolescents and so forth, you know, uh, but we do now. I mean, post-industrial revolution, we have we have those things. And so, coming of age looks, I mean, a lot in terms of developments where it looks a lot like it did before. You're wrestling with, uh, you know, relationships and identity and career and what am I going to do with my future and those kinds of, those kinds of things are all the same. What's what's different is the the forms of how kids are wrestling with that. The certainly the forms of how kids are communicating. With each other, I think, you know, with cell phones and technology and Snapchat and these kinds of things, we're, like, I don't know that that students today are as prepared for face-to-face personal engagement like uh, we had to do when I was coming through and, and in certainly generations before me had to do. And so I, I think that that changes the game a lot. Like, my wife and I talk about this, too, because— like we we have you know teenagers in the house and and even that whole you know guy girl stuff where it used to be you were exposed to um, the people that you go to church with or the people that you go to school with maybe you come into contact with some people from other schools from time to time or whatever because of, but now like an entire city they can they they can follow each other they're messaging each other it it pro, pro, it pro, um, it brings all kinds of challenges to dating and, and those kinds of things and whether or not you want to be, you know, stick with one person or, you know, all those kinds of things. And so that while, while wrestling with dating and getting married is the same struggle that we've all had in the you know, history of the world, the way that our kids and the way that young people right now are processing it is totally different because of technology. And so, again, it's one of those places where we've got to come in with the scriptures and say, hey, I know what the culture is doing, um, but here's what the Bible says about, you know, dating and marriage and so forth. And so, yeah, so there is there are all the kind of same just dealing with lust and dealing with uncertainty and dealing with the future and identity and who you're going to be. All those things are the same, but the way that they're processing them is different. Mm-hmm. So. We, we all know colleges can be a very transient place. You know, students will come and go, they come to get their education, and oftentimes they go. So thinking of pastors, particularly in or near college towns, how can they make the most of that time uh, shepherding those college students while they're there? I think, I think that it is a unique opportunity because I, I, I think the model for um, pastors and, and church leaders who are in a college town context needs to be the church at Antioch. It needs to be, a, hey, we have, an, we have a unique opportunity to disciple, to train, to inspire, to equip, and then send them out and, and send them out into cities and really all across the world now, the global marketplace. And, um, and so I, that's what I encourage pastors to do is, is just see this as a strategic opportunity for a limited amount of time we're going to invest in and, you know, they, they are at that point, as we talked about earlier, that is a, a formational, you know, I, I can't remember the, the, uh, the study that I read this in or, or, or um, what article specifically, but it talks about the first year of college that you have more uh, development in terms of uh, who you are as a person. It, it's, it's, the most, it's the most change that you experience mm. in a year mm. outside of your first year of life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your first year of life, you go from, being able to do nothing for yourself to potentially being able to stand and walk and, you know, babble. But then outside of that massive change, 
the first year of college is a, is a massive change. And so because it's formational, this is a time that's really strategic to point, you know, young people, young adults in the right direction. So I, I think the model at Antioch would be what it is what I encourage pastors in local context. And obviously here, uh, Summit and, and there's all kinds of churches that are seeing being in a college area like the Triangle or being in a, even close to a seminary like Southeastern is a strategic time to to point these people um, towards using their life to make a difference for Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about before before the interview how college was such a transformational time for, for both of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And our, our years, especially uh, as we were had the trajectory towards ministry. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, so much. You talk about growing up. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, Annie and I met in college, uh, you know, in terms of the ministry, you know, the, the, the ideas that have really shaped who I am as a person and even as a teacher and, and elder and so on. All of that, you know, or at least 95% of that was uh, developed during my college years. So yeah, yeah, yes. I praise God for the uh, for the godly men and and godly women that really poured Amen. into mm-hmm. me and discipled me during those years. Now, now think about uh, the pastor of in churches that are a little bit further away from college settings. All right, uh, in a lot of ways, the college town. You know, I mean that that's another planet <laughs> for some churches, right. uh, and and there's a lot of fear and uncertainty that that comes into sending their kids off to to college because they don't know who's coming back, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. and what college will do to them and so on. So, uh, how can pastors prepare uh, their teens uh, for that time? You know, for the, the the time when they leave, for the college setting, college context, and so on. When that's for a lot of them, you mentioned freedom and things like that. That's freedom that they've never seen before. Right. Uh, so how how can they prepare them well for that for that season of life? Yeah. So I'd say three or four things. I'd say one is is the gospel. I mean, we we have to see our children as our first uh, mission field, and mm-hmm. so we cannot assume the gospel. We cannot assume just because they're in church or surrounded by churchy things that they're going to know the gospel. So we have to be very intentional uh, about being missionaries to our kids. And so we need, we need um, gospel acceptance and, and, and uh, faith. Um, and we need also, the second thing I'd say is we need biblical literacy. I mean, that's um, so many kids that come to Carson Newman, they don't, they don't, they may be baby Christians, but they don't know their Bibles. Um, and so we need to do a better job of teaching our kids to know uh, their Bibles and not just giving them, again, not that it's, it's all wrong, but not just giving them, you know, topical life lesson type of stuff, but like actually knowing their Bible, mm-hmm. knowing how it fits together, um, having some, you know, biblical literacy when they, when they come. And then I do think on that foundation, the foundation of the gospel and the foundation of biblical literacy then we need to do things like what Solomon is doing with his son in Proverbs, where we're saying, okay, now here, with that foundation, now here's how you live a wise life. Here's how you make decisions. How, here's how you engage in relationships. Here's, you know, how you handle your money and have work ethic and all these different things that are skills that, they, that, that young people need. And that obviously, like, like you said, that, that grow, those growth years in college are going to be put to the test and there's going to be some learning on the go and tripping and falling and picking yourself back up and all, all those kinds of things. And so those those three things um, would be the, the three. And then the fourth that I think is just major is you've got to 
get them to buy into the idea that the local church is essential mm-hmm. to their walk with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so they've got to be part of a local church when they go to college where they have not just rela- not just a which again I'm over campus ministries at Carson Newman love campus ministries all kinds of fun energetic things you get to do and 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 challenging things you get to do but they they need to be in a multi-generational uh, mm-hmm. church family context where they're being encouraged and poured into and um, and so you got to have that that's the biggest thing is that you know my my dad always said you know you, you get your kids for about 20 years uh, and what you're supposed to do is to parent them in such a way that when it's just them and Jesus, they'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think churches, mm-hmm. in partnership with parents, need to be doing. We've got to get buy-in from our kids into, hey, walking with Jesus is the most important thing in my life. Being part of a church is the only way that that's going to happen. And so when I go to campus, these things are going to be central and vital to my life. Mm-hmm. Good. So there seems to be a bigger focus uh, not even just in college spaces, but certainly in college spaces on mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, I don't know if you've if you've been keeping up with with UNC uh, and and some of the the things that have happened there among the suicide rates recently going spiking uh, on campus there. Uh, what what's happening? Uh, why are we seeing such a shift and and more of a focus on mental health? And how can pastors come alongside college students and help? Well, I can't speak to what's happening at UNC specifically, but we do have uh, that is certainly as something we talk about at Carson Newman that that mental health issues seem to be much more prevalent than they were a generation ago when when I was going through college or or whatever. And so we we do things. We have like I can't remember three or three three to five full time counselors. We've got during strategic parts of the of the semester that we we do like different things that are like anti-stress days so like we have well they have like they call like a dog a dog library and so they'll just bring out all these dogs and let students come and play with them and <laughs> and just try to you know just try to de-stress and 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 let you know love on these animals and let the animals love on them and and uh it, it apparently has been very significant um so I, well i can't speak I, I would say two things i would say again this is a in my mind and i'm i'm let me just stress i am not a mental health expert mm-hmm. and so i'm i'm coming at this as best i can from scripture and and so forth i do think what we're seeing is both there's a both a positive to it and there's a negative to it so i i do think that the positive is we are becoming more aware of and accepting of the the fact that the that the inner person um needs to be cared for um, developed. We need to think about these things in ways. In the in the in the past, you weren't even given permission, really. Mm-hmm. I think to think about these things, especially if you were a guy, and it was just kind of like, hey, you know, toughen up and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing, which again is not um, is not always helpful. And so I think we're learning more, uh, which is which is a, which is a good thing and a positive thing. And so I think we need to have that awareness and we need to be sensitive to it. On the other hand, I think it's a negative thing in terms of. I think we are breeding not just a generation, not just young people. We're, we are breeding a a country that uh, values a victim mentality, I think, and that I think is eschewing responsibility for their own for your own actions and blaming everybody else oftentimes for what you do. And I think one of the things we've got to do is we've got to be able to hold intention, uh, taking mental health seriously, and also telling people you are responsible for your actions. You are, re- you are responsible for how 
you react to negative things. Like the Bible is pretty clear that not all suffering that you experience is an injustice. Some of it, the suffering that you experience is God actually trying to teach you perseverance. Like he's talking about this in Peter and other places. Like he's he's trying to produce something. And so when you when you when you meet an obstacle, when you meet a problem or you meet a challenge, you can go one of two ways. And 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 simply just trying to shift the blame is not a helpful strategy for that. You have to be responsible for your own actions. And so I think we have to be able to hold these things in tension. Um, I, I don't, so, so I'll, let me just use a, a current example. And again, I, I'm not speaking to you. My, my daughters uh, do cheer and, and uh, in gymnastics. And so I'm, I'm not even talking about like what happened in the Olympics, um, you know, with uh, Simone, Simone Biles. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not even talking about that situation specifically because I, you know, I do understand some of the things that happened, at least my wife and my, my girls have explained them t- to me. Mm-hmm. My, my concern is not the Simone Biles situation specifically. I think, again, what this highlights is it highlights what we've, where we've got to have this, this tension where we've got to say, look, mental health is a real thing mm-hmm. and we need to really take it seriously. At, at the, at the, on the other hand, you do have to, at times, toughen up and go through things that you don't like going through and it gets better on the other side. I mean, and if we don't teach children that, then they're not going to succeed at work. They're not going to succeed in their marriages when it gets difficult. They're not going to succeed in mission when it gets difficult. And so we've got to have both of these. Uh, and we've got to be able to hold them in tension. I'm not saying I've figured all of that out, mm-hmm. but as I have opportunity to talk to students and to, and to teach them, I want to say, listen, um, I, I want you not to see all adversity as a bad thing mm-hmm. um, because some adversity can be a good thing and it's, 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 it's on you to decide how you're going to react to it. Yeah. And that takes wisdom. I mean, it takes there, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there, there are certain things that, that happen where you go, okay, that's of a, of a level that's of a nature where, you know, you should not have to endure that and you should not have to go through that. Uh, and then there are other things that to be very honest, we just have a lot of folks that, um, where they want to use the term sheltered or, or something like that. And I know that just as from my experience as a dad where I'm going, I don't want my kids to go through, you know, uh, all of the things and I want to try to, you know, it's the natural kind of, you know, mindset of the dad, you know, or, or, or of the mom to go, you know, well, here, come on over here, you know, hide under the shadow of my wings, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. things like that. And yet at the same time, this world is rough. And this world is broken. And and there are some things that I just simply can't, you know, can't shelter you from. Mm-hmm. And there are some things there. There are a lot of things that I really shouldn't shelter you from uh, because you need to learn about that. You need to know, you know, uh, um, what to do in that situation. And, you you know, so somebody calls you a, a, a bad name or something like that. Yeah, that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to get over it, you yeah. know, and and learn how to process that, you know, uh, you know, learn how not to retaliate, you know, when you want to punch them in the face right. you know, or something like that, yeah. you know, uh, and, and just, you know, learn how to how to endure. Like you said, learn how to persevere with that. Uh, and, and it takes wisdom to know the difference between, say, somebody calling you a name and 
say a young lady, you know, being abused or something like that, where you yes. go, okay, there's yeah, no okay. reason that you no. should go through that. We're going to fight for you. Yeah, I think, and that's, that's my thing is, is the discernment is is the key is between mm-hmm. how do we take mental health seriously without creating mentally weak people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because because like one of the things that, that I deal with is educators who are who are saying to me, you know, today uh, I get calls from parents about an an assignment that their student's supposed to be doing or whatever. And it's like 20 years ago, they ne- like never, the parents would have said, you go talk to the teacher about that. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're, we're again, had this, this hovering, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay. If the teacher is, is somehow not listening to your student and you, you know, he feels like or he or she feels like after a repeated attempts, not being advocated for, okay, maybe now's the time to, to step in or whatever, but we've got to let, them wrestle with some of that on their own yeah. as well. And so, like yeah. you said, it's, it takes discernment yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And I think there are a lot of students, uh, as they're, you know, kind of starting to stand on their own two feet and start of start of entering into adulthood and, and, and they're mm-hmm. feeling the responsibilities and they're feeling all of this that they're just starting to realize this world isn't exactly everything that I thought it was, and so on. And uh, and I think that's a great spot for pastors to go. I know, right? Right. Um, <laughs> it's right. it's not, you know. Yeah. But uh, uh, we have hope in Christ, and He's given us the wisdom to navigate through the mess of this world, and and uh, and He's given us a mission, obviously, to uh, uh, to to work in this world for His glory. You know, I think one of the things that I, I can't remember I was reading or maybe listening to a podcast recently, but he was talking about that, this kind of idea, like when you, you talk about the world's broken and, and then all of a sudden the kids come to the realization, hey, you know what? Um, I'm not going to be a huge celebrity, mm-hmm. okay? And and you know what? Life doesn't, I don't always feel happy and life's not always going to go the way that I want it to go. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay. Like yeah. it, it's, it's it, you talk about first world problems, you know, we, we talk about that kind of thing, which is which is true. Like, other cultures and other generations just kind of as a you know presupposition life sucks mm-hmm. they had they had that we don't have that and now some of that is good because of we've got these blessings that we've been given and we have an opportunity to be a blessing because of that but also the the flip side of that is you know um, again in that that book the calling of the american mind is talking about um how you know with medicine and with um you know a, a nice existence and those kind of things the the negative side of that is, you know what? People in 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 less developed countries can fight off infection better than we can, and don't have as many allergies and what you know whatever because they've been exposed to those things. So there's a there's a there's a sense in which we need to be exposed to adversity, levels that we can handle that are not over the top, as we said, that can help us become strong and to push through um, in a world that is broken. Yeah. And we've got to learn that. Yeah. So last question, how can the local church be an oasis for college students? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I think so so one, I think the local church can be an oasis for college students by um first of all prioritizing and valuing them. Mm-hmm. And so 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 basically just wanting to be that mm-hmm. because you have so you have too many churches that kind of you know, put them away and um you know, don't resource it. Don't um, you know? And then, and I've, I also feel like there's there's this perception among older members in our congregations that like I can't do college ministry if I'm not young, hip, cool, and can relate to them. And honestly, one of the things that we found uh, even at Carson Newman, like 
Uh, I'm not. No, I'm not saying she's not younger hip, but but we just hired um, an associate campus minister, a, a lady, and she is an older pastor's wife. And I'm telling you, it's been an it's been an a, I mean a huge huge addition to our our team because the the students I mean flock to her and mm. and you know students whether or not they say it or not they do want some relationships with older people that just love them no matter what and invest in them and so. I think our churches have to say, look, we need to prioritize college students because of all the things we've said about transformational time, unique opportunity, et cetera. But to say, look, I can provide, I can't provide coolness or whatever, whatever that means. I can provide meals. I can provide a home to hang out in. I can provide my time. Mm-hmm. I can invest. And if you, if we do that, then I think um, then churches will be able to see, you know, a lot of discipleship happening that's not just a programmed you know Sunday school hour discipleship but it's just life on life I mean that for me one of the most transformational things for me and I come from a great family I was discipled um, by my parents part of a great church but one of the things that was very transformational for me was when my when my dad moved away my mom and dad moved here I stayed in Louisville and every Sunday night our youth pastor our, our college pastor would have us you know he and his wife and their kids would have us, you know, about 15, 16 college-age students over the house. We'd watch, I think we watched like Alias or something was the show that was <laughs> on back then. Um, and, uh, you know, they'd make us milkshakes and we'd sit there and we'd watch and we'd talk in the commercials, and which they used to have commercials, you know. Um, and, um, and we would just see him love his wife, love his children, see her love her husband, love, her, love their children see them pray with them before bed and those those moments are priceless honestly and so i think churches just need to need to be available like that well, that'll do it, brother. Thank you so much for just taking time to have this conversation. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this episode helpful, uh, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback uh, you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, my brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.